What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Recorded live. We're in Chapter 6 now, and we've been ministering from the title. And the reason we've been ministering from this title is because the Hebrews author and is talking with Hebrew Christians that have been Christians for a long time. They're under persecution by Jews and others who are trying to force them back into Judaism to, to, to renounce Jesus Christ and to go back into Judaism. And he's encouraging them, trying to empower them to stand against the struggles and the challenges that they are facing. But these Jews, these Christian Jews, they were still babies in their faith. And he would say, and so my title then is, after all this time, don't you think it's time to grow up? Don't you think it's time to grow up? Let me just read it by name. Put on my... Uh, Just John, I mean, Hebrews 6, chapter 6, verses 1, and I'm going to read through verse 8. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of, high, of faith towards God, uh, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and the and of eternal judgment, which these are the basic foundations of our Christian faith. These are the elementary principles upon which we profess our faith and we stand upon. But he doesn't, these are, if you will, the ABCs of our uh, faith, the very rudimentary or the very basic steps that uh, are taken first. For it is impossible for those who were once entered enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistle briars, it is rejected and here to be cursed, whose end is to be burned. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you, God, that you have chosen us today to be here. We thank you, Lord God, for the presence of your Holy Spirit that indwells us. Now, Holy Spirit, since we, since I am your temple, which is given unto me by God, and that I am not my own, for I have been bought with the price. I stand here today to glorify God, my Father, in my body, and in my spirit, which are God. Therefore, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Take full control of this service. Use me as you see fit. Speak as you know we stand in need of, 
and we give honor and glory unto you in the righteous and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We have um, began our theme for this year, if you will, is building on truth, the word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Thy sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so that's our theme for this year, it's building on truth. We never, ever want to think about building on anything else but the word of God. We want to give glory and honor only to Jesus Christ. There is no way for us to save ourselves. Someone had to pay the penalty for the sins that we've committed in our lifetime and will continue to commit as long as we live in this human body, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He did that over 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. Now, before getting into the meat of our text, let me first point out just a couple of facts. First, the Hebrews author is writing to Hebrew Christians. And he just as well needs to be writing to us as well. He's writing to them because they are in danger of giving in to the pressures of non-Christian Jews to return to Judaism. And the amazing thing about this is that from the tone of this epistle, these Hebrews, Hebrew Christians, appear close to giving up on their faith and actually going back to practicing the Mosaic Law. Why would they consider doing something like that? They were considered still babies in the faith. Why is that? It isn't that they were not active in ministry, and this is something I saw, and it's something that's very important we need to get. It's not that they were not active in ministry, because they were. Verse 10 tells us we see the author of this letter encouraged them. He says, well, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his ministry, but so his name is that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. So they are actively involved in the ministry. But yet they are still babies. So we see that they are active, but they are ignorant when it comes to God's word. I remember back in 2000, we were stationed in Louisiana at the time, and we were at Breaker St. Stephen and the Bishop Morton, and I remember coming out and talking to some of the security guards, and I shared the gospel with them, and right on the spot, they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And then I went in, and, I, and a little time later, over at Booty, we, uh, the Bishop Davis, we were in service, and I ministered the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ to a, a young family. And they had been attending service. This is the point I want to make. They're attending service. But they were not saved. They had not given their life to Christ. So you can be in the church and not be in the church. And, and so they were working, but they were lost. They were ignorant of the word of God. Being active in the church, therefore, doesn't necessarily, uh, doesn't necessarily cause a new Christian to grow. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't get upset with me because... You can be there and not grow. Why? Because no one is taking you under their wing. That's what, if you follow the, the teachings of Jesus, he called them, he says in Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Then he, they followed him and he discipled them. And it cost him something to disciple. We have to learn to disciple. We can't just win souls and then make them spiritual orphans. The reason they were considered still babes in Christ is because they had not given themselves to the study of God's word. 
by failing to give themselves to the study of God's word, they were becoming dull of hearing the word. This dullness presents us with a clear picture of what ignorance spawns, lukewarmness, that is no longer enthusiastic about their faith, their negligence, that is failing to exercise the care expected of Christians, and then they are in earth, that is, they lack the ability or strength to resist the attack of non-Christians, of the non-Christian Jews in this case, and in our case, people out there in our communities today. I know that's hard to receive, but it is true. The gospel, once dearly seen and dearly loved by them, had become to them dull and vague. It isn't enough to become Christian. That's just the beginning. Once one gives his or her life to Jesus Christ, they must immediately begin a a serious diet of God's word. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, this newborn babe desire the sincere gift of the word of God. Why? This here's the purpose clause, that you may grow thereby. That you may grow thereby. When God calls me to the ministry, he says, you are my pastor. You're going to have to grow. God is me. I said, God, I need an education. And, and, and then that, I embarked on my education. Why? Because I wanted, I wanted to be the best servant to him that I could be. And that's what each of us must purpose in our own hearts to do, to be the best servant that we can be for the God who called us, the God who created us, the God that saved us, the God who died on the cross for us. Sure. Sure. Oh, I love it. So how can a nation defend its freedom against enemy attacks if it doesn't have an arsenal from which to draw and the men knowledgeable in their proper use? This question. It cannot. That's the answer. The same is true of Christians. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It is the only thing that you have to stand on. If you don't have to, if you don't know the truth, you can't stand on the truth, and therefore you will fall to whatever comes your way. Knowing the truth speaks to a level of spiritual maturity which equates to the skillful use of the word of God in one's life on an ongoing basis. It's able to eat strong meat. But in the case of these Hebrew Christians, they were still in need of being taught the very basic principles of God's word. This lack of knowledge and skill in the word of God made them vulnerable and defenseless against the attacks of the devil. Now, having said that, let's take a closer look at what the author of the Hebrews epistle is actually saying to these Jews, these Hebrew Christians. Specifically, is he saying that they can lose their salvation? That is a question that we all come to at some point in our lives. If I make, if I do this, if I do that, if I make this mistake, if I, if I sit this way, if I sit that way, do I lose my salvation? Can I lose my salvation? Well, I'm going to give you the answer up front, straight up front, answer according to the Bible. So here's what it says, John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them me to me, 
is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then Romans 8, chapters 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angel, nor principality, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. True Christians cannot, contrary to what others say, lose their salvation. God, if God loses you, then he is incapable of keeping you in the first place. And if he was incapable of keeping you, then we are living a lie. God is able to keep us, to preserve us. He says, I will never leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. God never, ever leaves us. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always there with you. And then he would not have said, or in Isaiah, uh, he would not say, well, return to me, O backslide. Isaiah chapter 3, I think verse 15. Return to me, O backslide. God is married to the backslide. So, can a Christian lose their salvation? No. Some will say yes. But Scripture tells me no. God is greater than that. We may lose a lot of the privileges when we leave here and we go to be with him in glory. That may determine our status of where we will serve in glory. But right here, right now, we will not lose our salvation. And I have been wrestling with it from the very moment I first laid eyes on this scripture. Way back over 20-some years ago, I have been wrestling with this passage of scripture. I've been wrestling with it because is it saying that I will lose my salvation? Is it saying that? Well, hmm. My answer is no, that's not what it's saying. So, but now let me just say this. Who is the author referring to? What is the sin they commit? And what is the consequences of their sin? Verses six, 4 through 6 is speaking of those, of those who were once enlightened, not us who were enlightened or you who were enlightened, but he's talking about those who were once enlighten those, emphasis on the word those, because us are saved and we are enlightened. You are saved and you are enlightened. So it's not them, it's not us, and it's not you, but it is those, speaking of individuals who are not saved, but they have been enlightened. Can you be enlightened and not be saved? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. So in these, in these verses, there are five advantages that those about whom the author is writing have. They have been enlightened. They have tasted of the heavenly gift. They have, made part, they have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God, and number five, and of the powers of the world to come. Now, let's just walk through this if we can. Can we do that for just a few minutes? We look at the word enlightened. The Greek word is photizo. 
and it signifies to give light or knowledge by teaching. So we see an example of this in three verses, in three in three different books, in three verses, uh, two different books, but three verses. John Judges chapter thirteen, verse eight. We see how someone can be have knowledge through teaching. When Manoah, and many of you may not remember who Manoah is, I'll tell you that in just a moment. When Manoah, the father of Samson, there it is right there, just gave the answer. We turn it, pray to the Lord. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh my God, oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. Apparently, Manoah and his wife had been wanting a child for a long time. And so a man, the man of God, well, he was a man, but he was an angel, that God sat down and spoke directly to Manoah's wife and told him specifically what, that she would have a child and that he would be a Nazarite and that no razor should come upon his head, nor should he have any strong drink from the fruit of the vine, neither shall she eat any, because he is a Nazarite, meaning he is set apart, holy for the word of God. And then here's, well, here's an interesting thing with the word that he will begin to deliver his people from the Philistines. Notice now, we say what happened to the Samson was a tragic thing because he died pushing those pillars down and causing the Philistines to fall and die. But God didn't say he would save them utterly, but he would begin to. That's a key word. They don't miss that word. He will begin to save them, and he did. He put a hurting on the Philistines. In 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 2, Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. We always need instruction. Remember I said to be enlightened is to give, give life or knowledge by teaching. And so here we have three passages of Scripture, Judges 13, 8, where Manoah prays and asks God to send the man of God back so that he can teach them what they are to do concerning Samson, the baby they were about to conceive and have. And then here Jehoash uh, did what was right in the sight of the Lord in all the days of which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. So even there, instruction is important. Even if you go to Deuteronomy chapter um, 6, looking at verse 5, God says through Moses that you need to teach the children. Let's go there real quick. And I'm just going to touch on it very quickly here, but Deuteronomy chapter 6. just want to get on it just real quick. I'm going to start at verse 4. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with your, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then these words which I command you, verse 6 today, shall be in your heart. In verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So we see that the word of God is important to the believer's life. If, if you don't have, if you don't read the instructions, how do you know how to operate? If you don't know what the author, what, what, the, what the creator designed you for and what he wants you to do, then who do you go to? You go to him to get the instructions that you need. 
God gives instruction. Everything about the Christian faith requires instruction. We are to instruct one another. We are to sit under teaching. We are not to forsake the Hebrews 10, 25, not 10, 25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of thought is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It is important to sit under the word of God. Chapter 2, 17, chapter 17, verse 27. 17, chapter 17, verse 27. Then we're speaking of the word enlightened. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Now, that's a very long story, but the short story is this. The son of the northern kingdom, Samaria, were sinful, and they refused to hear God. They continued to worship God and worship all foreign idols, and God sent the king of Assyria to, to, to take them, to take the nation, and then they took the people and scattered them, took all the Jews, and they put them in, they separated them into seven different continents, countries that the king of Assyria had already conquered, and he replaced them with nations from, or people from other nations that he had conquered. So he separated them from their nation. But what they did, but, and so what happened then is that they were in the land of, of, of Samaria, and they were, be, they were being attacked by lions and other, and, 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 and really following, having serious problems. And so they, they said to the king of Assyria, they said, please send us someone here to teach us about the God of the land. And so they sent, and so he sent someone, a priest there, to teach them about the God of the land. They did not stop worshiping their gods, but they did respect the God of that land. They did what they needed to to, to keep themselves alive, to survive in that land. So when referring to being enlightened, Paul uses the word, uses the word for being to is to bring life. So instead of saying enlightened, Paul says, bring to life, make known, to, to be seen. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He says to bring to life. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, and then 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the heart. So God, Jesus Christ, when he comes, that second perusia, that second return, he will bring to light all things. Nothing is hid. Second Timothy chapter one verse ten. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You have to be taught. Enlightened means to be made aware of, to be made known, to have taught to you the gospel, the word of God. So there's no way that we can go. We we can say we did not know. Uh, this is teaching, uh, by the way, uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to be using a lot of scripture. So that's why that's why I encourage everybody that we'll bring in pens and paper, uh, and we may want to start bringing some just in case. But it's important because we can yell and we can shout and we can preach and we can do all those things, but that's all good. But sometimes you just got to be, you just got to settle down and be taught. So enlightened is used here, as used here means to be instructed in the teaching of the gospel. 
so as to have a clear understanding. Let me ask you a question. If I walked up to you today and I said, I have a stock that's really performing outstanding right now. If you give me $50,000 on that stock, I guarantee you I can, I can double your money in just five months. Would you give me that? Of course not. Why? Because you need more information. You need to understand, and that's the way it is with us. In order for us to really understand, someone has to take the time to teach us. Then we need to take the time, like the, um, who was it, uh, in, in Acts chapter 17, the Berean. When Paul preached, when Paul taught, they went home and they studied the word. And because they studied the word, they saw that what the man of God said was true. And because they saw the truth, they believed and they followed Jesus. So you have to do your due diligence. This is further supported by Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, where it says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So to be clear then, this is speaking of a natural knowledge of spiritual things. There is a difference because natural knowledge is received by outward hearing and reading. But, and so it is no different than the knowledge acquired from learning math or learning science or some other subject that you may, that you may be very diligent in, in, in pursuing. But spiritual enlightenment transforms. It changes from the inside out. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You cannot renew, you cannot change, you cannot do anything without the renewing of your mind. And you cannot transform yourself. That was the problem with the Hebrews and then following the Mosaic law. Theirs was a work. Theirs was work. They had to do this, they had to do that. 614 commands commandments that they had to follow. But that did not change their heart. Sacrificing animals did not change their heart. But it took Jesus Christ to die on the cross at Calvary that, that paid the penalty for your sins. He didn't cover your sins. He obliterated your sins. He said, as far as the east is from the west, I will remember your sins no more. That's what I'm talking about. That's the word of God. That's the love of God. He does not, he does not lord it over you. Remember, you know how some of us do when we when in marriage and, and in friendship, you know, we oh yeah, but we get upset with one we start throwing bricks at Yeah, well, you remember you did this, but this is not what we're talking about. This is the issue right here, right now. No, no, no. But you remember this and you did this, but that's not what we're talking about. God says, No, I won't do that to you. I'm not a man that I should lie. Son of man, that I repent. I will not do that to you. I won't throw it up in your face. I will not. I've forgotten it. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus' blood cleansed us. And so there, and so because Jesus' blood cleansed us, we no longer have to walk around in guilt. And so we have to learn to forgive ourselves. Because Jesus has already forgiven you. You're the one walking around complaining as though God thinks we're going to repeat it over and over and over again. What? He's already forgiven you. It's gone. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. He won't remember it again. But you keep bringing it to his remembrance because you can't forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. 
So I love it. So so listen, second Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. You read my class says enlightenment transforms. That's right, it transforms, it changes. It doesn't cover you, it doesn't cover your sin, it wipes away your sin. And that's why, and so and by the wiping away of your sin, let me just say this. Your name then has been wiped away from the multiple books of the, that contains the names of people that are going to hell. And it's been placed in the Lamb's Book of Life, which means your name now is secure. That's why I say you can't lose your salvation. Jesus can't go against his word. God can't undo what he's already done. He's going to stand by you. David sinned. And that should have been death because it's adultery. should have been stoned to death. But God preserved and God forgave him. David had a heart of repentance. And because we're going to get to that word repentance at some point here. But he had a heart of true repentance. And then David, my God, when he repented, he says, I am, I am so sorry. I'm paraphrasing. I have sinned against God. Oh, my God. And Nathan says, uh, you're okay, but you're going to deal with some things. You're going to go through some problems because of what you did. But David gave, humbled himself, and God preserved him. So don't think that because you sinned that at the end. God has a way of forgiving you. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled faith, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Every day, sanctification is at work in your life. And every day, you are being shaped and molded and conformed into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. That's what Scripture tells us. We are conformed. God is conforming us into the image of his Son. And in that confirmation, there is a transformation. We cannot stay the same. You cannot stay the same if you truly give your life to Christ and you truly love him and you truly desire to serve him. You cannot. So every day, day by day, from glory to glory, you are being transformed into the same image as Jesus Christ. Here's the second word, tasted. That is the Greek word, juomai, and that's G-E-U-O-M-A-I, juomai, and it means to have a personal experience of. So the, the persons here described by the Hebrews author are those who have a certain degree of understanding and they have enjoyed the revelation of mercy. Uh, like the stone ground hearers, they have received the word with a fleeting joy. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 real quick. And you understand what I mean by the stone ground hearers. You are the stony ground hearers. Those who heard the word, <laughs> let me just read it. But he who received Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Uh, yet he has no root in him, but endures only for a while. For which tribulation or persecution arises, my God, when that rises, 
because of the word, immediately he stumbled. So you've got to have the word deeply rooted in you. I remember some of my prayers, God, I want you to make the word of your word indelibly etched on the inside and inside walls of my heart and on the outside walls of my heart. Let your word take deep root within me, and, Lord, let me grow in your word. That's my prayer to God, and that's what we ought to be praying. And so the stony ground hearer only gets it for a little bit, but then when, when, when the real challenges against them come, they begin to fold and run away. Because why? They did not have the depth of the word of God in them. And there's a word called Simpson's Plenoir, and it simply speaks to the depth of God's word. See, we look at the prima facie part, the surface of the word, the surface meaning of the word, but, but the, but the, but the, but the uh, Simpson's Plenoir gets into the depth of the deepness of the word of God and really begins to show you who you are in God. You've got to dig into the word of God. You've got to hunger after the word of God, and you've got to give yourself into the study of the word of God if you're going to grow and become strong. Amen. Uh, the tasting is in contrast to from eating uh, that's referred to in John chapter 6, verse 50 through 56, and I'm going to go there, and I just Walk with me, if you will. John chapter 6, verses 50 through 56. He says, this is, Jesus is talking. He says, this is the bread which came down the rest of the bread. She said, I am the bread that came down the rest. He said, that one may eat of it and not die. He said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to sacrifice my body for you in order that I may be buried for three days and get up on that third day. And I'm going to be seen by more than 500 over a period of 40 days. So there is no way that anybody can deny the fact that I ain't dead, but I'm alive. Glory to God. Uh, verse 52, the Jews... Therefore, quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh? See, they're repulsed, because the cannibalism is a no-no. And, but, and so they're repulsed. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats the peace of my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in a, a, at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood applies to me, and I in him. He is not talking about a physical eating of his flesh, but entering into a personal relationship with him. Because he died for you. His flesh was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And so in the killing and the shedding of blood, there is remission of sin. Can anybody hear me? God died for you on that cross. Now, some will say that took this literally, and they say, well, in Holy Communion, in Holy Communion, the bread becomes the actual body of Jesus Christ, and the, and the, and the wine becomes the actual blood of Jesus. No, that's cannibalism, my brothers and sisters. That's cannibalism. That's, they're saying trans. 
trans, what is it called? Trans, um, they call it trans, trans, uh, trans substantiation. That's what it is. Transubstantiation. They're saying that it is actually turned into the actual blood and body of Christ. And that's not what the scripture is saying. And it's that we, as Protestants, we believe in what? Consubstantiation, which means we believe that the bread and the wine represents the body and the blood of Jesus. It is not the actual body and blood of Jesus. So we have to understand transubstantiation and consubstantiation. And do our due diligence and understand that that's not what this scripture is saying. Enter into a personal relationship with me. Because I've made, I've done all the work necessary to make it possible for you to do so. So, tasted what might be your question. He tasted the heavenly gift. These, these Hebrews, that these, 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 these um, hypothetical individuals that he's talking about, heavenly, heavenly speaks of the origin of the gift, which I believe is the Holy Spirit. And, and I say that because of Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We can just go walk in there. Just go walk there. I'll walk your fingers through the pages real quick here. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, uh, uh, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit originate from? Peter originates from heaven. He's God. The third person of the Trinity. And then Acts chapter 8, verse 20. I love this. But Peter said to him, your money, he's talking about Simon, the, the magician here, trying to, trying to buy, if you will, this power that the laying on of hands and seeing the people you know, of Samaria began to speak in tongues that he thought that was great and he wanted that power and he thought he could pay for it. And Peter said, again, your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. That's ignorance, my brothers and sisters. That's what I'm talking about. That's ignorance. And then Acts chapter 10, verse 45. And I love this one too. I mean, I love it all. Let me just put it there. I, I love it all. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with fear, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Listen, go to Simon the Tanner, who's housed by the seashore. There is one Simon Peter saying there, we have him come back here, and he will show, he will share with you the gospel. And when Peter went, to Cornelius' house, Cornelius had gathered all of the people there, and when Peter shared the gospel, the Spirit of God fell on them, and they all began to speak in tongues, and Peter said, can we deny them the right to be baptized? Because the same Spirit that God has poured on us, God has poured on them. That tells you right then and there, God is not a respecter of persons, so that whoever will, God will receive. Those who have those who have tasted are those who have had an acquaintance with the gospel. Uh, uh, as, as, as to gain such a measure of blessedness as the as to the to eliminate rather their claim 
of not knowing. So many people say, well, I didn't know. Well, I didn't know. They want to play that ignorance card. But, but no, 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 no. These people who heard, who tasted, can't claim ignorance because the word has been, they had heard the word, the word has been taught to them, and yet they did not act on that word. They did not receive that word. Many people can quote the word to you. Many people go to church, and many people sit up there every Sunday. Not one of them is saved, but they know that word. Satan knows that word. But you have to know that word as well. So those who tasted are those who had had an acquaintance with the gospel uh, as, to, as to gain such a measure of its blessedness as to eliminate their claim of not knowing. You cannot claim ignorance. For a great illustration, turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Ah, you're going to walk with me today. I love it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 20, verses 20 and 21. Don't be surprised if I ask you to stand up and read. I'm just kidding. <laughs> My wife said, oh, don't you do that. Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. And I've already read it to you once, uh, but let me just read it to you again. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when the tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, not because of what you've done, but because of the word, immediately he stumbled. We have to be careful. We have to know the word. We have to be able to stand on the word. And when we can do that, it doesn't matter what challenges come our way. It doesn't matter what storms come up. When you have the word of God in you, the spirit of God can activate that word and help you to stand. When you've done all you can do, stand. Paul said, therefore, stand. On the word, stand on it. Here's the third. Here's the third thing. I have five, but I want to just, and I'm not going to get to everything else I want to do. But I want to try and get through these uh, these five um, points here uh, concerning um, this first uh, few verses here. Number three is this partakers of the Holy Spirit. We are not here referring to Christians, but rather to those who have shared in the benefit of the Holy Spirit. We are talking about those who have shared in the benefits of the Holy Spirit, supernatural operations and manifestations. The place was shaken. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, when they released the apostles and they went back to the upper room with the other ones and they gave the report and then they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the place was shaken where they were, the Bible tells, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So, and that's an illustration there. So here, the Hebrews author is speaking of the miraculous gift, gifts and operations by which God's Holy Spirit ministered to those in early Christianity. This is what he's talking about. Uh, and some say that primitive, primitive um, Christianity, or primitive Christianity, simply means we're talking about, or, or they say primitive dispensation. Of the church. They're just talking about the early, the nascent beginnings of the church and how the Spirit of God moved uh, uh, among the people of that time and building the church. He's still moving today. He's still building the church today, but he needs people who are willing and committed to go out and to do it. Here's number four. 
and have tasted the good word of God. To be to taste the good word of God is simply to experience that God has been faithful to his promise. See, the one thing I love about a covenant with God is that God will honor his covenant. I asked our grandchildren this in, in, in service one day. I said, is there any limitations to God? Does God have any limitations? And what did they say? No. Well, God has self-imposed limitations. He will not, he is locked into performing his word. He cannot go out beyond his word. If he says he's going to do that in his word, if you trust him, he's going to do it. He has some limitations, but they are self-imposed, and they are not binding him to anything. His condition upon whether we trust him or not, we serve him or we don't serve him, we trust him or we don't trust him, God will perform it. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. Yes. That condition, that, that, that conditional state, that word, yes, is present with so many possibilities. Yes. Yes. It's a very simple word, but it's a very powerful word. So, so to enjoy so far, they had to, so they enjoy so far as unconverted man or woman can enjoy the blessings and the advantages which flow from the promise being fulfilled. God will fulfill his promise, and you, even though you're not saved, because you're there, you benefit from it because you see it. And some people will ride on your coattails because the anointing of God is on you, and they're going to hang with you. Like the prodigal son we were discussing yesterday. You know, we were sitting there talking yesterday. The prodigal son, he went off and he did all of that. He had all the friends. Everybody loved him as long as he had stuff, but when he didn't have it anymore, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. They basked in his possessions, but once his possessions were gone, they were gone too. Sometimes their people care with the people. And number five, and the powers of the world to come. The reference here is to the new dispensation which has which were which was to be ushered in by Israel's Messiah, according to Old Testament tradition or Old Testament prophecies, if you will. Now, the word dispensation is defined as the method or scheme according to which God carries out his purposes toward men. So there, is, there are usually reckoned three dispensations. There's the patriarchal uh, dispensation, that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're gone. That's all. doesn't exist anymore. And then there was the, and we call it the Mosaic or the Jewish dispensation. That's history. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse Chapter 31, God says that right around 31st verse, I'm doing a new thing. I'm going to do a new covenant. And so we're in that. And so in that third dispensation is the dispensation of Christianity. And that's where we are today. That's where we are now. God is at Hebrews chapter 1, verse chapter 1, verse 2 says, God in these last days has spoken unto us by his son, whom he has made, whom he has given authority over everything. So Jesus Christ is speaking to us today. By the Spirit of God. So those are the three dispensations. So these and so this fifth advantage agrees with Hebrews chapter one, which I've already checked, verse two. I've already spoken that. So the individual about whom the Hebrews author is speaking has tasted or had an experience of the power to come because they have been personal witnesses to the miracles of Christ and also of the wonders that follow his ascension when such glorious manifestations of the Spirit were given. So in short, 
there were no excuses. Many people sitting in the church today that have not given their life to Christ can't say they can't claim ignorance and say they didn't know there are no excuses. If you walk outside and you look out there, you see the sun shining, you see rain falling, snow falling, you see cars moving, you see trees out there, everything, that testifies that there is a God. So the heathen in the world can't say, I didn't know there's a God. He knows there's a God because, because Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1. It's all out there. It's manifest. You cannot deny God except out of pure ignorance or hardness of heart, refusing to acknowledge him. But after hearing this word, there may be one in you without the Lord Jesus Christ. God is ready right now to turn your situation around. Said a man, said a woman, said a boy, said a girl. The question is, if God were to call you right now, can you honestly say that you're ready to go and be with the Lord? It's not the power you have to make that decision to take. Secondly, if you're looking for a church, a home church, and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you to become a part of this ministry, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to work. This is the place I want to call home on my way to my heavenly home. Then we welcome you. Thirdly, if you're backslapped, you want that joy restored in your life. I'm here to tell you God will restore the joy in your life. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He will do it, and he will do it now. Fourthly, if you're away from your church home uh, and you're attending school, join on our watch here so we can watch over you, so pray for you, preach and teach the word of God to you, and when you finish your assignment here, you can return home to your home church and help your pastor fulfill the vision that God has called him or her to. And then finally, if you're in need of prayer, and I believe in prayer with all my heart, if you're in need of prayer, I believe God answers prayer. He says, seek and you shall find. Asking as you'll be given unto you, not that the door shall be open unto you. But whoever seeks, finds, whoever asks, receives, and whoever knocks, it is open to him. So, and I mean, I got the... You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.